This is On Second Thought from GPB. I'm Virginia Prescott, and we're highlighting conversations with authors who will be at the AJC Decatur Book Festival over Labor Day weekend. Jim Akmudi was going to be there tomorrow. He spent a whole lot of time studying one of the things that divides Americans, state against state, region against region, pork against beef, barbecue. While the particulars, origin stories, and claims to be the barbecue of the capital may vary, Jim Akmudi found one thing we can agree on. Barbecue has a southern accent. The veteran journalist and smoked meat Sherpa is author of Smoke Lore, a short history of barbecue in America, covering the history, evolution, and imagery of a tradition that has flavored American culture, identity, and politics since before the nation was a nation. I spoke to him when Smoke Lore first came out. Being one of many books about barbecue, I asked him what the book adds to the existing books on the topic. Well, uh, barbecue has never been given the truly uh, uh, the big picture historical view. I think that I'm giving it here. There have been academic histories done, but there's never been a history done that was uh, academically sound, but also as lavishly illustrated as smoke lore, and um, ac- also got across the sense of fun. That's the whole point of it. It is fun to read this book, I have to say. It's a bit of a romp. And you started researching the book you write when you were five years old. So what was your methodology of research? Well, what I mean by that, of course, is it's in my DNA. I I come from a long line of pitmasters in Georgia, uh, particularly, well, my great-grandfather in Bartow County, Georgia, James Robert Ockmoody, my namesake, uh, was a noted pitmaster up there. But it was my grandfather, Bob Ockmoody, who we knew as Daddy Bob, who was really the renowned pitmaster. He was featured in this 1954 article in the Saturday Evening Post uh, titled, uh, Dixie's Most Disputed Dish. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and they just happened to set it at the Uharley Farmers Club Barbecue uh, outside of Cartersville, where he had been the pitmaster for years. So he's the first picture you see in this thing, uh, looking over the pits. And he became quite uh, sought after after that. Uh, in fact, uh, there was a group in uh, suburban Chicago that had him and some of his pals come up and cook a southern barbecue and make Brunswick stew for 2,000 people up See, there. that's the scale of this is just unbelievable. But the funniest thing is when he came back, he, he was telling uh, all of his experiences to the uh, Cartersville newspaper, and they ran a story about them going up and cooking this barbecue under the tongue-in-cheek headline, Rebels Cook Southern Q in very heart of Yankee land. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's always been tied in with so many things, and the history tied in with mythology here in many cases, beginning with the word itself. There are some interesting origin stories for barbecue, which is accurate. Well, you hear a bunch of them. Uh, You hear that it came from a uh, a brand uh, on a a Texas ranch, BBQ. You hear that it came from the French phrase barbe à queue, which is supposed to mean head to tail, never mind that a uh, a beard to tail, never mind that a pig doesn't have a beard. Um, The accepted version is that uh, it dates to the earliest uh, encounters between uh, the Taino Indians, the the native tribes uh, of much of the Caribbean, uh, and the Spanish uh, sailors who came with Columbus on his second voyage. They saw these Indians out there cooking on the shore of Cuba, and uh, their approximation of the little uh, grill, really, the wooden grill that they were cooking fish and lizards on, uh, was a barbacoa. Okay, lizard. Uh, you know, I was going to say beef or pork. What were, they ki- what were they cooking? They were cooking fish, which the Spanish sailors ate hungrily, 
and they were cooking iguana, which the Spanish sailors thought was disgusting. And uh, but the uh, but the Taino loved iguana, and they were very relieved that the Spanish didn't steal the iguana because that's actually what they wanted. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there are these images that come back of the, the Caribbean indigenous people and the Taino Indians um, cooking in the West India manner brought back to Europe by artists in the late 1500s. But there's also an early indication here of a kind of duality that would follow barbecue, that it's, you know, both delicious, but it's also bizarre, you know, to them. It's evidence of savagery or low barbaric manners. How did that play out historically, this kind of dual vision? Well, a lot of the early European depictions of barbecue, uh, they, they portrayed it as something that was uh, savage and wild and was of the new world. And everything they were saying about the new world was this is a, this is a really exciting place, but it's also dangerous and savage. And barbecue was a, a, a really great example of that. Now, the irony of this, of course, is that barbecue is actually a timeless and universal cooking technique. It appears in almost every culture in the world. They've been doing it since cavemen and women. And uh, so there are barbecue traditions, but the one that really birthed 500 years ago in America and took the word barbecue is probably the most distinctive barbecue tradition in the world, and it's certainly the one that's most wrapped up with its country and its culture. I mean, to me, my central contention in the book is that barbecue is really most truly American food, not apple pie. And the reason why I say that is because it has roots on five continents. It involves almost every ethnic group that makes up America. It, uh, it's so wrapped up in our history. It goes back to the beginning of our history. I mean, there's a reason why we have barbecues on the 4th of July. It embodies us. Hmm. But the South is where you say the, the southern, southeastern seaboard was really the taproot. Why did it take off in the South especially? Well, it took off in the South because, of course, the, the colonies in Virginia and uh, North Carolina very early on showed a predilection for eating pork. And pigs uh, sort of became the quintessential early barbecue food. Barbecue was all about having big events on plantations. Usually the cooking was done by African slaves. Uh, so they had an out, even though they didn't invent barbecue, they had an outsized hand in, in, in sort of uh, creating what we think of as barbecue. And uh, the combination of plantation socializing and all these pigs uh, in, in Virginia and North Carolina in particular really led to the birth of barbecue culture. And it, it's really why barbecue has such a southern accent to this day. And this new American cooking became a tool for politicians and campaigns, beginning with the very founding of the Republic, George Washington. How did he tie into barbecue history? Well, in George Washington's diaries, he mentions going to seven or eight barbecues, and he spells it every which way with an I, with, you know, this idea that we don't know how to spell barbecue goes way, way back, and we've never settled to this day. Um, the uh, What you're talking about is that by the founding of the Republic, barbecue was a very well-known institution in the United States, so much so when, that when they laid the cornerstone for the Capitol building in September of 1793, 
George Washington, who was the president then, first president, he oversaw the ceremony. He was a mason. It was a Masonic ceremony. He put on his Masonic apron. He pronounced the... <laughs> the first the, barbecue apron. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. It was a Masonic apron. Uh, and he, he pronounced the mumbo-jumbo over over the uh, thing, uh, over the laying of the brick. And, after, and then all the dignitaries repaired for a, a, to barbecued ox. That's how they celebrated the founding of the American Republic, was barbecued beef, not pork. <laughs> Okay, Texan, Texans get one point there. But this is also inter- interesting that there was a practical purpose during the French-Indian War. He, they smoked meat because they didn't have any salt. So is this, is this an improvisational cooking as well? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it it was uh, smoking meat like that. It was all. It was something you did at big gatherings, uh, at parties. Uh, I mean, when Washington was talking about doing barbecues, sometimes these were two and three day events. They were they were long weekends at the plantation, probably with a lot of grog, and. Uh, and yes, a lot of it was about meat preservation. You know, they didn't have a refrigeration in those days. And smoking stuff and seasoning it heavily, uh, salt, pepper, vinegar, uh, the classic sort of eastern North Carolina barbecue sauce ingredients, uh, w- was part of making pork last longer. Barbecue, says my guest Jim Moody, is America and a mouthful. We're talking about how the flavor has seeped into so many aspects of the nation, as illustrated in his new book, Smoke Lore, A Short History of Barbecue in America. He'll be at the AJC Decatur Book Festival tomorrow. Well, despite being delicious and bringing people to people together who may not normally come together, it did not sell in regular dining establishments for a long time. It was, you know, then roadside joints and churches. People would cook it in their homes. When did barbecue become professionalized, for lack of a better word? Well, for most of American history, barbecue referred to a big event. If, I've gone back and read all of the so many news accounts of barbecue, digitized newspapers from the 1800s and early 1900s, and it was almost always a political gathering or a community event. It, it was a big event they were talking about. Barbecue restaurants didn't really start coming about until the very late 1800s and didn't really take off until automobiles became prevalent uh, into the, you know, the 19-teens, 20s, and 30s. The two oldest barbecue places in Georgia are roadside establishments that opened in the 20s, mm-hmm. Sprayberries in Noonan and Fresh Air on US 23 in Jackson. And they both very much started to, you know, to, to service the, the, road, the roadside people. So what you find is that in the, in the mid-20th century, the sense of the word barbecue changes. We think of it today as referring to a restaurant or to something you cook in the backyard. And a hundred years ago, that's not what they thought barbecue was. Well, growing up in New Hampshire, we'd say, let's have a barbecue. And it meant grilling hamburgers. <laughs> well, and your sense of the word barbecue is actually a modern sense that comes from the rise of backyard cooking, which was not typical until the early, it really didn't take off until about World War II. Mm-hmm. So but when did that become, you know, the... The post-war suburbs took on this barbecue outdoor cooking, but it became really mostly associated with men. Why? Why were men the barbecue chefs? Backyard barbecue cooking really didn't rise until the 1930s, 40s, and 50s. And it really takes off when you start getting these mobile cookers in the backyard and this idea that you build a brick pit in the backyard like I, I Love Lucy did uh, uh, to, uh, to, to cook back there. It became part of the suburban good life. And that period actually coincided with probably the, the, the height of gender stereotyping in, in American culture. So if you go back and look at barbecue cookbooks from the 1950s, 
fifties and sixties and 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 the magazines where they wrote about it. It is just amazing and laughable how much they play up the idea that men are supposed to be doing this cooking and that women are supposed to be getting a day off uh, from from the cooking chores. Well, let's hear a little bit from a clip from an episode of I Love Lucy addressing that very thing. And then I figured that the grill should be up, say, about that high to keep the smoke out of our eyes. (laughs) Now, would that make it kind of awkward for cooking? Well, we'll get a little stepladder and stand on that. Oh, a stepladder. Wait a minute. Where are the blueprints? Blueprints? The plants. Oh, who needs plans? We'll just create as we go along. Yeah, we thought we'd just ad-lib this barbecue. Now, just a minute, girls, just a minute. It is very obvious that you don't know what you're doing. I better do this job myself. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Ethel, I guess that's right. I guess they do know more about it than we do. Yeah, building a barbecue is man's work. Yeah. Is it still true? More women, men rather, cook outside than women? I don't know the exact statistics, but I think it's pretty clear that men have more of an affinity for going outside and building a fire. But the idea that women are not involved in barbecue was never true, and it's even less true now than it ever has been. All right. So are you willing to go on the record, Jim? Pork, beef, vinegar sauce, tomato sauce? Oh, I am so ecumenical when it comes to barbecue. As far as the sauce goes, it depends on what the meat is. Uh, To me, I mean, I love Eastern uh, North Carolina style uh, whole hog, like Brian Furman has done here in Atlanta at B's Crackling Barbecue. And the best sauce for that is that spicy vinegar sauce with any tomato in it. But there's a whole different thing that you would use on beef. Jim Ockmoody, thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you, Virginia. This has been fun. Jim Ockmoody is author of Smoke Lore, A Short History of Barbecue in America. He's going to be serving up some of his thoughts on the culinary favorite tomorrow at the AJC Decatur Book Festival. And we'll leave you with one of many songs celebrating this American art form, Struttin' with Some Barbecue, from 1927, Louis Armstrong. Coming up, forget the pearls, but keep the martini. We're going to get unladylike with the hosts of a podcast of the same name. I'm Virginia Prescott. Stay with us for more of On Second Thought.